Ben, Ben Avery here from the Comic Book Time Machine. Just to uh, quickly remind you that these following episodes were actually taken from a larger episode and cut up into more easily indexed, smaller portions. So there are going to be times when I talk about, you know, next in this episode or previously in this episode, because originally these were released as long episodes that covered a single month of the comics. A long time ago, on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 44, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue number 9, covered 8 February 1978, and Ben's Bullpen Bulletin. John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue... Number nine is uh, written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Gil Kane, uh, inked by Rudy Nebrez, 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 uh, I'm not sure, lettered by Denise Wool, Vol, Wool, and colored by Janice Cohen. And this issue is called Death Star Trench Run. I mean, I, sorry, I mean, Apocalypse at Last. <laughs> I'm not. Not Apocalypse Now, uh, which would be a little maybe too on point, but um, Apocalypse at last. And it's a big battle issue. At least that's what the front promises us, and that's what the inside gives us. It's it's a big battle. That's really what all of this is. Uh, after last issue, which really was just a quiet tale of a skiing double date gone horribly awry and ending with a stone snake turning Cantus Khan's girlfriend into stone, Cantus Khan being friend and colleague of, of John Carter. Uh, this issue starts off then in the middle of the uh, fleet of fighter jet type things flying in formation, getting ready to attack something. I thought I missed an issue or something. I, I didn't. Uh, no, it just takes off right from the beginning here. Uh, we are jumping in right into the... Well, they're, they're going to war. They're going to war. Uh, they're going to war against the Council of Five, which is led by the Great One. The Great One being someone who incorporates uh, features of, of five different races from Barsoom or Mars into his, his physical being. So he has four arms, but they're different colors. And he has legs that are different colors. And um, he's kind of an amalgamation of all of the races of Mars. And after what happened last issue, which was, you know, the assault on on John Carter and his people, um, they're going into war. And Dejah Thoris knows where the Council of Five is hiding, where, they are, where their fortress is, their kind of fortress city place. So if these, this fleet of fighter ships is heading in that way, led by John Carter. And the action is pretty straightforward. And I am 
Just going to say, I think it borrows a lot from Star Wars. Uh, The fighter plane ships are approaching a target, which is a city fortress type of thing. Guns pop out of the cratery terrain below them and makes uh, their attack run dangerous, but they get by. They, uh, when they get to the fortress, they find out the city has shields, um, electric mo- magnetic field, actually, to be precise. And as John Carter says, my problem became how to get through this invisible field. You must remember, I am a man born to Earth before any great scientific achievements. Our science then was crude compared with the advancements I found on my later voyages home. Even with my paltry scientific knowledge, I realized the obvious Their fire could not go through the field unless the field vanished, even for the briefest of moments. So in that, you know, two caption boxes, we get some backstory. You know, John Carter is kind of an immortal warrior, and he's narrating this from some future point in time. And, you know, we know he can't die because he's narrating. And he actually mentions a couple times that he can't die. And but here he's saying, you know, I had no idea what this technology was. What what's a force field? What's a shield? Um, what I I never watched any you know Star Trek because that was before my time or after my time rather. So anyway, uh, they do slip past the shields though, uh, timing it with the the shots from the fortress's own guns, and. They then run through the city, uh, fighting through the resistance of the, the, the warriors there, and they plant bombs. And then they escape in time for the fortress to explode. But the great one, the guy with all those features from the five races of Mars or whatever, he survives. And so here's where I, this is kind of a running theme for this uh, month, this uh, February 78 cover date month of my comic book time machine experiment that uh, the this idea of is not just what happens in the story but how the story is told and yes the action here is straightforward but it's the characters that give this story life and we have three characters with internal struggles that play out while they deal with uh, the external struggles that they're trying to get through, you know, destroying the bad guy's base. And honestly, that's what keep this, keeps this alive for me. Um, this issue would have really been a letdown if it had not done this. As it is, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, first, we have Cantus Khan and his friend Grog. And we get some backstory about Grog. We, he was wounded saving Cantus Khan's life in battle. Um, but the blow to the head he received makes it so he remembers very little about his life before that. And he has a much different personality than he had before. And Cantus Khan feels bad about this. Uh, and there's a tight bond between them, a tight friendship. Uh, they've been in battle together now. And and this is set up You know, earlier in the series. This is set up when we had that bar scene where people were in the bar talking bad about John Carter because they thought he had kidnapped Dejah Thoris. And these two guys and their friendship has been building since back then. It was really kind of uh, fun when I realized, oh, it's the, it's these guys. And it's not just, oh, the one guy who lost his his lady love. It's also this other guy. And th- that friendship meant more to me because I realized that it had been set up from earlier. And <laughs> then Cantus Khan now, he totally hates their enemy because of what they did to his lady love. And he gets some good advice from Grog, though, that, you know, hate 
changes the way you fight. It's good. You know, we have to kill, but hate changes the way that you fight. And it's, that's kind of, uh, it, it plays out later in the issue. Let's, let's just put it that way. Um, I'm reading this though, expecting that Grog is going to die. He's a friend. He has sacrificed for Cantus Khan. Cantus Khan, um, appreciates him and feels bad. Uh, I'm expecting this to lead up to a, a dramatic sacrificial death scene for Grog. And, you know, then there'd be more hate building up in, in Cantus Khan. But instead, what we have is just kind of that follow through on what, what uh, Grog said about hate. Uh, he's fighting a guy. He's, he decides, he, I'm not going to use weapons. I'm going to beat him with my bare hands to, you know, uh, get revenge for what they did. And he is grabs this guy and he's throttling him. He's going to kill him. He's, you know, this one for... And someone starts taking shots at him and he doesn't even look or as he, you know, he grabs his knife and spins and throws it and it throws it. And he looks too late to realize he's just killed this woman and in battle. And he's in the middle of, you know, killing the man. Uh, but he now has killed that man's lady love. And he has just done the same thing that was done to him. And he staggers away in grief and time to get off the fortress before it's destroyed. And I like this. This is compelling. It's interesting. And, uh, you know, John Carter in the narration kind of reveals that Cantus Khan can't die. He's not going to die until years later, which is another reason why I thought maybe Grog was going to die because he doesn't say anything about Grog. But uh, he reveals that Cantus Khan would die later. He's going to die, you know, and, and John Carter being kind of that immortal warrior. Um, he doesn't like the fact that Cantus Khan actually gets to have his Valhalla before uh, the, the, and John Carter, actually, I shouldn't say before uh, John Carter can have it. John Carter can never have it. He's, he's not going to die. But what, what I like about this is that this takes a character who um, a lot of the, the drama is gone and is kind of stripped away from his story because we kind of know where his story is going. Uh, instead, we get a little bit of there's still something interesting here, things that can happen to him and around him and and cause him to uh, change emotionally. There's there's just some good drama here. Second, we have Tar Tars Tarkas, who is going into battle and he's fighting well and he's he's gets through the shields as well and he's going to he's going to plant the bombs but he in coming to this battle feels like he's betraying his people he's torn between his loyalty and friendship with john carter and his loyalty and responsibility to lead his people and he meets a young thark in the city uh while he's planting these bombs and this young man this young thark uh tells him that your people think you've abandoned them and he ends up having to kill the other one but even then he he continues just every scene that he's in he continues to grapple with his sense of loyalty versus his sense of uh, duty and identity. Um, and third, we have John Carter who doesn't want Dejah Thoris to be there at all. Uh, he feels like she doesn't need to be there. He wants to protect her. He loves her. She's his lady love, uh, but he's her um, manly love. I don't know what you would what the flip side of that phrase would be, but uh, she is not going to let him let her stay. She knows where the fortress is. 
she could probably give them directions, but she wants to be on the front lines because she stays with Thoris. And she's pretty tough and she's not going to give up this chance to get revenge on the people who held her and who hurt her. And uh, later on, she saves his life. So, you know, him kind of uh, his confrontation of this internal struggle struggle allows her to come with him. And the the way it plays out is just that she saves his life as someone's attacking him from behind or something like that. And honestly, it's the most unexciting of these interpersonal and introspectional conflicts for our protagonist. But it's enough. And I'm still riding on a lot of goodwill for John Carter, Warlord of Mars, and Marv Wolfman, the writer. Uh, there's a lot of goodwill that I have for the storytelling that's gone before. So this one, which is not as interesting to me, uh, and if the if it was just aerial combat, I'm, I'll be honest, aerial combat in comics just doesn't excite me at all, except for one issue of G.I. Joe that I remember had a really good dogfight in it, um, and it really drew me in. It was very interesting. But generally speaking, if you've got you know, ships flying at each other for a couple pages in a comic. I'm not going to find it all that interesting. But the things that happen here as the battle unfolds, the human drama kept me tuned in. It's not as hard hitting or as exciting as previous issues of John Carter, Warlord of Mars have been. But it worked and I'm excited to find out what's going to happen next as the great one and John Carter are finally, finally, finally going to meet in battle. I think seems to be what they're leading toward. So uh, this is, you know, this concludes then the ninth chapter of the uh, Air Pirates of Mars. And yeah, I'm, I am excited to, to finish that out. I'm feeling a little nervous though, because I'm, you know, this is about one third of the way through uh, this omnibus. So we're, our time with John Carter is almost done. So our time with John Carter for this particular issue in this particular episode is done. And it's now time to uh, the, do the next segment. The next segment being the uh, Ben's Bullpen Bulletin. This Bullpen Bulletin is probably going to be kind of short. There's not a lot to cover. Um, I will say that the special effect of the day definitely goes to Human Fly. Uh, if nothing else, Human Fly... It, wins that for this episode uh, and wins that for this this month really with the blap uh, the B-L-A-A-H-P-P sound effect for a mobster goon losing his cookies as for the ads and stuff like that Thor has the dingling family again that he's dealing with and uh, Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy are announced as another book that's upcoming by uh, Jack Kirby. And basically, uh, Devil Dinosaur, I, I like that series. That's kind of a 2001, some of the crazy, wacky 2001 stuff that he did. In Devil Dinosaur, he does that, but it's more of an all-ages um, Saturday morning cartoon type of, of tone. But... What else is interesting in here is that uh, for Stan's soapbox, he's, this is kind of fun. He announces uh, that they have just completed filming a live-action two-hour special 
TV movie of The Incredible Hulk. And he he actually talks about how he made a mistake because he in his previous or in a previous soapbox said that, you know, can you guess what pizzazz is? And then it turns out that in that very issue, they had an ad for it. And so his little tease uh, ended up being kind of <laughs> overshadowed by the actual ad. And then he was trying to, you know, be mysterious and say, what's pizzazz? And then there's the answer right there. But then he says, and I'm going to, I'm going to quote here, but he says, oh, well, what do you expect from a guy who could never remember whether his own character was called Bruce Banner or Bob Banner? Hey, speaking of that, here's another nutty thing that could only happen in the wacky world of Marvel. As you know, Universal Studios just completed a live action two hour special TV movie of everybody's favorite Jolly Green Giant. In fact, the Incredible Hulk may be prime timing it on the tube by the way, by the time you read these imperishable words. Anyway, what do you think they call the old Doc Banner? Bruce? Uh-uh. Bob? Forget it. They decided to name him Dave. <laughs> what? <laughs> so that's, I think it's funny because I've heard people talk about this before in light of this conversation of, you know, David Banner. Uh, but then it's okay because Stan Lee could never keep the name straight. Right here in Stan's soapbox, he's, he's copping to it, man. He's copping to it. The other thing that happens on the bulletin, uh, the bullpen bulletin page from the actual issues of this month is that they do announce uh, the Man from Atlantis comic, the 80-page, $1 giant issue. Uh, beyond that, there's really, you know, the ads are pretty typical. Um, there is one interesting one that is turn any wall into a giant TV screen. No electronic experience needed. High fidelity image. Enjoy an extraordinary new invention, a scientific marvel that turns any TV into a powerful projector. You want to know the cost of this? You're thinking to yourself, oh, it's, it's got to be 30 bucks, right? No, it's $3, postage paid, for a complete set of plans. I am really, really curious about what in the world this is. It's from Astrotech uh, in, in Pensacon, New Jersey. Uh I'm very curious, very, very curious about this. The other uh, interesting thing that I found here was there's a, a, a advertisement, full-page ad for a place called Superhero Merch. Um, it's the Superhero Shop, but they've just changed their name to Heroes World. And they offer these uh, comic collections, comic collectors set. Uh, set number one includes What If, number one. Black Panther, number one. Red Sonja, number two. Peter Parker, number three. And 2001, number one. Only $5 plus 50 cents postage and handling. And then uh, collector set number two features mint copies of Star Wars, number one. Eternals, number two. Logan's Run, number three. 2001, numbers three and four. And Peter Parker, number two. And I just see this and just think to myself... Man, $5 plus 50 cents postage and handling. Uh, I would love to have been able to have gotten that set of books. Now, I probably wouldn't have appreciated Logan's run in 2001 as a child the way I would have appreciated, you know, at least the superhero ones and <laughs> Star Wars. But anyway, that kind of closes things out here. Uh, November, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, November 1977. 
is is behind us now. It is the past, and it is time to return home. And we will be coming back to look at our, the March 1978 cover dates and the December 1977 release date uh, issues. And, well, uh, I'm not going to peek ahead this time. Uh, I don't think there's anything special. I know that there'll be a Man of Atlantis number two. There'll be Human Fly number seven. There'll be Godzilla, whatever, number eight, maybe. John Carter, World of Mars, number 10. Star Wars. And I, I, But I don't think there's any anything exciting or, or unusual other than the excitedness that I have for John Carter, World of Mars, and the unusualness that you can find in Human Fly. I'm making up words now, so I think it's time for me to stop and head to bed. So I thank you for making this trip back in time with me. And I thank you for, um, you know, honestly, just spending time with me and, and letting me talk about comics. I would like to hear from you, though, about comics. Uh, this is, it's nice, you know, for me to be able to talk like this, but I'd, I'd love for this to be more of a conversation. And so if you've been reading any of these, or if you have read in the past, any of these, have any memories or thoughts that you'd like to, to share with me about John Carter or Human Fly or, or Star Wars, Go ahead and, and send that. Uh, our email is feedback at comicbooktimemachine.com. So that ends this journey, and I look forward to taking more journeys with you in the future. And so until next time, Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, we jump into cover date March 1978 with Star Wars number nine.